Today I will be reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being in content with every situation, whether fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Great job on that reading. I do love the book of Philippians. Uh, That's where we're going to be this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Philippians chapter 4. But I love the book of Philippians because uh, I think the... Some of the primary messages that come from this book are things that uh, are universally applicable, and they are things that if we do take them seriously, no matter where you live or what time or where you find yourself, you'll find something of value, you'll find something of meaning, and you'll find something practically beneficial in your life. Um, The book of Philippians is written, I think, for a couple of of purposes, uh, but one of them is, I think, just simply a thank you letter. Uh, This is one of those letters that Paul writes while in prison. And the church at Philippi, apparently there's a guy named uh, Epaphroditus there. And the church uh, loves him and cares a lot about him and trusted him to bring a gift from Philippi to where Paul is in prison. And this gift was meant to help Paul uh, endure his imprisonment. We're not told exactly what it was, whether it was food or books or financial help or, or whatever it is, but we're told that they, were, they gave some sort of, of gift to him. Kind of like when we take up a contribution and we use it for some purpose or we give to, to help somebody, they're helping out Paul in his imprisonment. And so Paul, in response, writes the letter of Philippians to send back with them. And he lets them know uh, how, that he received the gift. He lets them know several times how thankful he is for their partnership with him in the gospel and how they have become fellow participants in his work through this gift and how thankful he is that they have they've helped him before and that they're continuing to do so. So Philippians is largely a thank you letter. But at the same time, I believe that while Epaphroditus was with Paul, he let Paul know about basically a status update, how the church is doing there. And there are some things that are going really well, and there are some things that perhaps aren't going so well. Uh, There's two ladies, uh, Euodia and Syntyche, that uh, apparently seem to be pretty prominent members of the church there, and they are not getting along with one another. Uh, And perhaps their division uh, is kind of, you know, uh, um, they're each garnering teams, you know, and so that's causing some division in the church as a whole. And so, In this thank you letter, Paul weaves masterfully through it these examples of how people have endured selflessly through love for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of others. And he wants them to see how so many of the divisions in the church can be solved and remedied if we will learn to love one another selflessly. If we can develop a mindset that genuinely and truly cares about the needs of others more than ourselves, then a couple of things will happen. Then we'll be able to overcome so many of the divisions that take place in the church. I mean, the vast majority of divisions and splits that have have, uh, reared their heads in the church have been due to pride and selfishness and, and an inability to care about the needs of others or to think mostly about your own thoughts or beliefs or, or, or uh, your own opinions. And, and so often that's what the, the, the cause of church division is. And so Philippians is trying to show how to develop a mindset 
that genuinely cares about others. And how Paul, through his experiences, has learned this mindset. And how Jesus demonstrated this mindset. And how uh, Timothy has learned this mindset. And even Epaphroditus, the guy who came and brought Paul the gift, he has learned this mindset. And Paul gives, like, each chapter you see these new examples of people who have this selfless mindset. And that by developing it, you can repair and remedy problems that might otherwise arise in the church. And also... That by developing this selfless mindset, you can learn something that will help you in your life overcome any obstacle that comes your way. You can learn contentment. You can learn how to be okay in just about any situation when you develop this mindset. And what I want to talk about in the lesson this morning is that mindset, but also the idea of contentment. And how Paul gives, as he's concluding the letter of Philippians, this recipe for contentment that I think every one of us can benefit from. I know I, know I can. Uh, it's something that if I, if I remember to do this, it helps me reshape my priorities and it helps me remember what truly matters most. And, and if we can remember what truly matters most in this life, there's not really a problem in this life that we can't overcome. Um, that, that, that expression, that famous verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, you know, I, I hate to break it to you, that doesn't necessarily mean you'll win every football game. And it doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, that hardships won't come your way. But I think the idea of it is through those hardships, you'll be able to overcome. Through those hardships, you can endure with Christ, and you can even endure with peace and contentment, because there's nothing in this world that is so powerful, that is greater than the love and the walk that we have with Christ. And so, as we go through here, uh, let's think just practically about what we can do when we find our peace being robbed from us. When we find that contentment escapes us, what can we do to remember what what matters most? As Paul's bringing this letter to a close in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 give us step number one. Each of these, or, you know, I don't don't do alliteration, uh, you know, as much as other people, but I'm going to today. Uh, They're each going to start with a P, and so hopefully that'll help us remember the three P's of of, uh, contentment. The first one in verse 6 is going to be prayer. Um, in verse 4, Paul says, like, be anxious in nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving in your hearts, or with thanksgiving, uh, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you want peace and contentment, the first thing that we should do when we feel anxiety welling up within us is remember prayer. Anxiety should be like an alarm clock in our lives. That as soon as you start to hear it and feel it, it reminds you, all right, I have something to do. I need to talk to God right now. Uh, When you start feeling that, it could be something that actually bonds you closer to God because anxiety then becomes that that alarm clock that tells you, all right, I have an important uh, task to accomplish right now. And the first thing to do is to go to God right now. Now, when you go to God in prayer, and he promises that the peace of God that surpasses comprehension will be with you, I think that can happen in a number of ways. Uh, Sometimes, um, and I know I've heard this before, and we we even talked about this a couple months ago in our lesson on the Sermon on the Mount. Sometimes when it comes to prayer, we have an an exclusive idea as to how it should work. Like, uh, you know, I pray to God, and he just within my heart flips a switch, and all of a sudden, anxiety and worry is gone. 
uh, that probably isn't going to happen. It might happen. If it does, wonderful congratulations. But uh, if, you've, if you have been anxious and worried and prayed and not felt an immediate switch uh, flipped, that's okay. That, that's probably going to happen. That's, that's likely. Uh, Paul actually, even though he writes this, he also, in other passages, talks about the constant concern and anxiety that he has for the churches. Uh, this is something that, it's a battle that people have, because we live in a real world and there are real problems. And I don't think Paul's solution is to just blind yourself and pretend like everything's always great all the time when things aren't great. Uh, it's okay to recognize that there uh, are, are problems in this world, and anxiety is often a natural human response to them. But that doesn't mean there's nothing you can do when that starts to take over. And prayer is step number one. And how God answers that prayer, it might come in a variety of ways. He might solve the problem that is causing the anxiety. He might be able to to root out that issue. He might slow over time, uh, make changes in your perspective and in your way of viewing the world and the way that you see this problem so that a thing that once caused you anxiety no longer does. As a matter of fact, I can, I can think in my own life of things that at one point were uh, major sources of anxiety, and it's not even like there was an immediate solution to it, but just enough time has passed that it's not that big of a deal to me anymore. Uh, It's amazing how often that happens where uh, certain issues or certain problems, if you put them on the shelf for a bit, uh, they end up, when you go back to them, being much easier to solve or they're not even worth solving anymore because you've moved on to other things. Uh, So often anxiety is temporal and God works through the passage of time to alleviate that anxiety. Uh, other things God can do, I believe, is through the, the community of the church itself. Th- there's nothing in here that says you have to overcome anxiety alone. Or you just have to, to be able to, to grit your teeth and get through it. And, and, and you're, you're tough enough and strong enough. It's wonderful to be tough and strong and self-resilient and all that good stuff. But more than the Bible telling us to do that, the Bible tells us to rely on one another and to be with one another, and to join with one another. And actually, last week, that was one of the main points of the lesson. We talked about the joy of our salvation, and one of the ways that you experience that is joining together for for good moments and good times with other people. And I think sometimes joining together with the community of faith is something that can help you through the hardships that you endure, that can help you through anxiety. Uh, Joining together for good times, and then also joining together even in bad times. Last uh, night, or Sunday night last week, uh, the whole lesson was on lament. And so we had uh, joy in the morning and lament in the evening. And so if you, if you weren't here for the evening, you, you got the good one. You didn't get the, 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 the sad one. But, uh, but both of those are essential parts of the Christian walk. And lamenting with other people, recognizing and, and crying out to God in the reality of your pain is something that can help you work through the anxiety that that pain is causing in your lives. Lament is, is often overlooked, often avoided because it's uncomfortable. But if you read through the Bible, I mean, there's an entire book called Lamentations. You know, it's, it's for, like, lament is an important part of the Christian walk. Most of the Psalms are lament Psalms. So read through them and make them a part of your life. I would also say that, uh, you know, it's not like God either answers your prayers or you uh, get help from somewhere else. Oftentimes, the, God, the help that God gives you in answered prayers 
is found in a number of ways. It can be found directly from God. It can be found through the community. It can be found in the passage of time. Or it can be found in other resources that God gives you. If you're having health problems, a doctor is a way that God can answer prayers. If you're having anxiety and concern and depression, there are counselors and therapists who can help you through those things, and that can be an answer to prayers. It's, I, I've heard before almost, and I think it's a very dangerous mindset, that in some ways maybe like counseling is when you're putting your trust in men, but prayer is when you're putting your trust in God. That's a really foolish dichotomy to create. God can work through doctors. He can work through mental health professionals and counselors. He can work through the community of faith. He can work through your family. He can work in many ways to help you through anxiety. But the first thing you do, whether he's going to help you in any one of those things, is go to him. Don't handle it without him. That's never the solution. Any of those things devoid of prayer can become, uh, can become something that I think causes you to focus or seek a hope or seek your help in the wrong area. Prayer is something that can be done with every single one of those uh, solutions to anxiety. And it's the first thing that Paul mentions. In everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. You know, there are times that we pray and we just pray to thank God for the things that he's done for us. I think that's essential and that's important. There are times that we pray and it's, and it's lamentation. It's a lament about the, the concerns we have. But here he talks specifically about prayers that are requests, where you're asking God for help. That's okay too. You can ask God for help. And you can ask God uh, whether it is helping, uh, you know, with, with what you think the solution is or trusting God in his solution, even though you don't know what that is. But none of that happens without going to God in prayer first. So the first P to peace or to contentment is making prayer a regular part of your life. And when you begin to feel that overwhelming feeling, let that remind you now, immediately, it's time to talk to God. He needs to hear about this, and I need to to express it to him. The second thing that Paul mentions, uh, and this is in verse 8, is perspective. We need to go to God in prayer, and we also need to to perhaps alter our perspective on what's really going on in our lives. Um, We have a tendency to catastrophize problems, and it's like if there's an issue that I'm going through, we are not only focused on, or what we can do is only focus on that issue and forget that there are a lot of other things going on in your life that might not be so bad. Uh, If you focus only on the the issue at hand, then you can end up uh, excluding the reality of the good that's in your life. But also what can happen is you focus on that issue and you begin... (laughs) your imagination starts to take over. And you start to think about all of the negative consequences that might potentially stem from that issue or all of the things that issue can lead to. And so it's like, oh no, I didn't get enough sleep last night. That means and this hasn't even happened yet, I'm not going to do good on this paper, which means I'm going to get a bad grade, which means I'm going to do poorly in this class, which means I'm going to do poorly in school, which means I'm not going to be able to get a job, which means I'm going to be homeless and everyone's going to hate me. And it's like, well, okay, let's not not go down that rabbit hole. And that might be an extreme example, but so often something that can be a minor solvable issue gets turned into this major bleak future that we see for ourselves when In reality, we can take a step back, pray to God, take a deep breath, 
and start to look around us for what's really happening in our lives. What Paul says to do in verse 8, remember, by the way, one of the great things about Philippians is Paul's writing it from prison. This is not just theoretical. He's not an armchair theologian sitting there thinking, how might one who's going through difficulty overcome it? Paul is going through difficulty, and he's showing us how he is able to overcome it. The first thing he does is he prays. The next thing he does is he changes his perspective. In verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence or anything worthy of praise— dwell or focus or meditate on these things. Like, don't exclude the good to focus solely on the bad. There's probably good there too. Uh, I love the the opening chapter of Philippians. Paul is in prison. And, you know, if you read the end of Romans, you find out that Paul was wanting to go on a trip and evangelize in Spain. He had some plans he was making for himself. And if if this is the Roman imprisonment that happens at at the end of the book of Acts, then Paul's plans are not working out how he thought they would. Paul wanted to, to uh, go and to visit the church in, in Jerusalem, then go to Antioch, then go to Rome and make some good contacts there, and then go and preach the gospel in Spain. Instead, what happens is he gets arrested in Rome, or in, uh, in Jerusalem, and ends up becoming a prisoner in Rome through a series of travels and events. But, like, his plans for his future have been rocked, and he finds himself now a prisoner without the freedom to accomplish the goals that he had in his life. Like, he wanted to do better in different things. And he could be sitting there frustrated and angry that his plans have not worked out, frustrated and sad that he can't see a lot of the people that he loves, frustrated that his goals for his life are, are uh, in disarray. He doesn't even know for certain if he's going to get out alive. So like all of these things could be causing, and no doubt are, in moments causing frustration and perhaps anxiety. And yet Paul, in chapter 1, as he's writing, he says, I want you guys to know about how my circumstances have turned out for the progress of the gospel. I want you to know how my imprisonment has actually been a pretty good thing because I didn't even realize, this wasn't even in my plans, but guess what I'm able to do now? I'm able to preach the gospel to the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else who's here. He he mentions that his circumstances, more people have been able to hear about, why is he in prison? Oh, what's he preaching? Oh, that's, and like, he, he has an open door now to a new group of people to teach the gospel to that he did not know about beforehand. That wasn't in his plans. That wasn't what he thought his life was going to have. But hey, it's a good thing. He can focus on that. And then he mentions that his imprisonment has also encouraged other people to be more bold in their proclamation of the gospel. The mindset of, you know, if Paul can suffer and endure for the sake of Christ, if he can go to prison, then surely I can talk to my neighbor. You know, surely I can. And people have learned and actually been more emboldened to talk to other people because of his imprisonment, which he thinks is a good thing. And then also he mentions that there are some, and he doesn't go into great detail, but there are some who do not like him. There are some who hate him, and they actually want to cause him more harm while he's in prison. And they are, uh, their desire to preach the gospel, it's completely selfish. It's like they're thinking, maybe if I preach, people will, will like me more than Paul, and I can take his place. And that would cause Paul some hardship, and it would also be great for me. And so maybe I can develop a good reputation. Or there are people thinking, maybe I can make money out of this. Or there are people who are preaching the gospel, and they're doing it with impure motives. They're doing it with a false mindset. They're doing it because they're selfish, bad people. 
And Paul thinks about them and says, but you know what? People are still hearing the gospel. (laughs) It's like, I could just be mad about what they're doing, but instead, people are hearing the gospel, whether their motives are bad or not. That's, obviously, that's between them and God, but I'm going to rejoice on the fact that even those people are spreading the good news of Christ, and I'm going to rejoice in that. And that is how Paul, instead of focusing on, I'm in prison, my plans aren't working out, people in Spain aren't hearing the gospel like I wanted them to, and these other people, they're cruel, and they're preaching from false motives, he could focus on all of that. A lot of us probably would. But instead, he says, you know what? Through my imprisonment, I can reach new people with the gospel. Others have been encouraged. And even the people with the bad motives are still spreading the name of Jesus. That's good. And I'm going to dwell on those types of things. I think that's what he's, the attitude he's trying to get us to develop. Through hardship, remember the good. Don't lose sight of what God has done and is doing just because of that, that issue that is causing the anxiety. There's more to life than that one issue. Focus on the good. And then finally in verse 9, the third P is practice. Prayer, perspective, and what you practice. Uh, He says in verse 9, The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So what things have they learned and heard and seen in him? Well, I think... The, the clear one is the first four chapters of Philippians, or the first three chapters, where he has been going through these examples of people who, even though they're in hardship, they're focusing on what ultimately matters most. You have Paul in prison, who we just talked about, who focuses on the good. In chapter 2, the prime and key example is Jesus himself, who had equality with God, yet made himself nothing and took the form of a bondservant and was made in the likeness of human flesh. And he suffered and he died and he died shamefully and he died on a cross. He did all of that, not because of the immediate peace that it brought to his life, but because he was able to see through the cross to you and to I. He was able to to see through the cross uh, to uh, the glory that was on the other side. He was able to see how through his suffering, he could do what was best for others. And by that selfless mindset he had, he was able to endure even the worst thing imaginable because he had a focus on other people. Epaphroditus, who brought this letter, apparently he got sick while he was visiting Paul and was at the point of death. And yet, he wasn't overly concerned and anxious about his own sickness. In fact, the thing that was causing him distress was he was worried that the people at Philippi might be worried about him, and he didn't want to cause them worry. And so, like, in each of these examples, they're thinking about what is best for the other person. And I think that is the the basic mindset he wants us to practice. Because when you're going through hardship, if all you're thinking about is yourself— then you can find yourself in that dark spiral where things get worse and worse and worse. But ask anyone who has done this. When you're going through something harmful or or, or painful and you find yourself serving others, something mysterious about it perhaps, but what often happens is you end up growing in your concern and in your love for others and it's almost like it begins to chip away at the anxiety and stress and frustration you're having about your own situation. The more that you can think about the needs of others rather than simply your own needs, 
the more you're able to give your anxiety to God and your service to the kingdom. And that's a helpful recipe. Paul, while in prison, is still thinking about others. In fact, he goes on in the rest of this chapter and he mentions that gift that they gave him. Remember, the church at Philippi, they gave him a gift. And he even says in that, you know, I'm so thankful for it. I've learned, you know, even if I don't have the gift, I've learned that I can handle whatever. I can be content in whatever situation I'm in, whether I have a lot or a little, whether I'm hungry or full, whether I'm rich or poor, like I can handle whatever. In fact, I can overcome and do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet, let me tell you what I love most about the gift that you gave me, that God saw it. And God saw your love, and God will surely reward you for the kindness that you've offered to me. And even in his response, what gives him the most pleasure is that the church is doing good things, and that the church genuinely cares about him, and that he believes the church will be rewarded for their good effort. And so even when he's receiving something, he's thinking about how it's good for them. Thinking about others is one of the most helpful ways to overcome the anxiety that uh, can take over our lives. In verse 18 of chapter 4, Paul writes about that gift, but I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance, and I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent, and it's a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and the glory in Christ Jesus. So he says, what you've offered to me, it's a fragrant aroma that pleases God. And in that, I will rejoice. So as we bring our lesson to a close, uh, I think there's three things that we should remember. And there's probably more, but Paul concludes the book of Philippians with some powerful ideas about how to have peace and contentment in life that so often wants to rob and deprive us of those things. The first thing you do is you pray. Next thing is, is change your perspective and focus on some of the good things that are going on. Don't solely focus on the negative, but then also practice service to others. Uh, practice selflessness. And in those ways, you'd be amazed what you can overcome. In fact, by doing those things, you might not win every football game, you might not uh, be able to, uh, to overcome every illness that comes your way, or you might not uh, have all of your financial struggles immediately eliminated. But even through those things, you can accomplish anything through Christ who strengthens you. And if there's anyone here this morning who is looking for the peace that God offers, one of the greatest causes of stress and anxiety in our lives is the sin that robs us of the relationship with God that we want to have. And he's offering right now today to remove and cleanse you of that sin, to remove it far from you so that you can have a peace that surpasses all comprehension and hope that transcends the troubles of this life. Uh, whether you want to talk to one of our elders in the back or you want to come sit on the front row, we pray that you would let that be known. We can teach you the gospel. We can uh, baptize you in the name of Christ. Uh, but if you have that need, please let it be known while we stand and as we sing.